Couch Wisdom. Couch Wisdom. Hey, this is Jordan Rothline from Red Bull Music Academy. Welcome to Couch Wisdom, Red Bull Radio's podcast presenting the best of RBMA's lecture archive. Born in the Bronx and raised in Virginia Beach, Terrence LeVar Thornton, better known as Pusha T, is one of the most influential rappers alive. Thornton began his music career in 1992, when he and his brother No Malice formed the rap duo Clips. Their albums Lord Willen and Hell Hath No Fury, both of which were produced by the Neptunes, are accepted masterworks of the genre, each elevating the sonic scope and lyricism of street rap. Together, they founded Reup Records and released a handful of mixtapes, but eventually parted ways to pursue solo careers on the heels of their third studio album, 2009's Till the Casket Drops. Since signing to Kanye West's Good Music in 2010, Thornton has released three studio albums for the label and Def Jam recordings. His 2018 album Daytona, which was produced exclusively by West, is arguably his strongest and most cohesive effort yet. In this episode of Couch Wisdom, taken from a public lecture at the 2018 Red Bull Music Academy in Berlin, Pusha T discussed working with Kanye, rap's competitive spirit, making Daytona, and much more. If you want to learn more about the Academy, please stay tuned after the lecture. For now, enjoy this bit of Couch Wisdom. Please welcome Pusha T. How you guys doing? They seem excited. (laughs) I'm happy. Let's do it. So we are here in Berlin, uh, yeah. 4,228 miles from Virginia Beach, according to Google Maps. Um, and that's where you were raised and where you became Pusha T. What can you tell us uh, about where you grew up and how it might be culturally distinct from other big cities in America that people might feel like they know more about? Well, I'd have to say that um, Virginia Beach isn't really a big city. It's not. And I think that's what makes it so special about everything that came out of there. It's a military town, actually. So when it, come, when it came to musical influences, like I always knew about um, what was going on in uh, Southern hip hop, uh, Bay Area hip hop. Uh, of course, New York. New York was a heavy influence in Virginia at the time. And... Um, you know, it was it's just, it was just a small town with a lot of different influences, and I would I would I would probably base that on the military first. So you mentioned New York, the New York influence. We know you're a really avid rap fan. Mm-hmm. You've spoken about channeling Biggie Smalls on "Hell Hath No Fury," which is the Clips' third record, um, and you've kind of talked about channeling the Purple Tape energy. For Daytona, that's Raekwon's only built for Cuban links. Yeah. What was it about those iconic records that kind of shaped your worldview or changed your worldview as a young listener? Um, I, I believe that um, both of those albums... Sorry, which Biggie album, to clarify? Definitely Life After Death. Living in Virginia at that time, right? You got to think about it. Like it's, like it's a military town. It's also a college town. Um, Norfolk State University, Hampton University, ODU, you know, a little further out, Virginia State, colleges everywhere. And during this time, the New York 
New Yorkers like flooded our area, like super flooded our area. Uh, the drug culture was like super heavy, like really it was it was really really a big thing at the time. So, like just living through that, living through that, and actually, like I actually seen Big in a club. Um, <laughs> I actually, um, you know, like. Raekwon was like friends with like some of my friends, you know. So when these when these albums hit, it was like chaos. It was like chaos through the town. Like you had everybody in Virginia at the town at the time talking like, you know, uh, they had adopted all of the slang of like Wu Tang and and uh, you know you just saw the bad boy influence super heavy. And I mean these guys were great. These guys were great living through it. Living, living through that time, seeing, seeing it, it, it had a major impact on me. So you and your brother started rapping together around 92-ish? Those records had already come out is what I'm trying to say. No, no. Um, me and my brother, my brother was always rapping. I wasn't rapping. My brother is five years older than me. When he was in middle school, junior high school, he was part of a, a rap group that the principal called a gang. And, and um, it was a duo. It was a group of guys who were all duos. And the producer and DJ for everybody was Timbaland. You know, like, as far as I can remember, like, like I said, he's five years older than me. So to get his attention as a, as a kid, I would, like, rip up his rap book. I'd kick his rap book. I'd take his rap book. Anything to like get his attention. Like he'd fight me, beat me up. I knew it, but I knew I could get him that way. And this is like, man, if, if, he's, if he's in, you know, anywhere between seventh and ninth grade, then what am I, eight? eight yeah, like eight. I'm eight. He's 13. Yeah. So I didn't start rapping until probably 93. Maybe even later than that. I graduated in '95. I graduated in '95, and it, it I, maybe maybe '94 or so, because it wasn't even. I just remember it not being cool to say that you were like rapping, like when I was when I was growing up. It wasn't really. I remember watching my brother and all of them be into it, and then when my generation sort of came, it was like you rap, like get out of here. You better go get on the block. You know, like, you know, go get some money or something like that. But like, it wasn't, it definitely wasn't about, wasn't about rap at the time. I had friends who were in the music industry. And I told you Timbaland was the DJ for my brother and those guys. He lived up the street one way. Pharrell, Chad lived up the street a mile away. I wasn't rapping when I knew them. You know, it was just something in the water. Who knows? I can't explain. I couldn't. I mean, it's it's like the weirdest story ever to know how close in proximity we all lived and we all knew each other. It's crazy. So then what changed? When did you start thinking rapping could be cool? Um, Teddy Riley, producer of New Jack Swing. I mean, everything great in R&B during the 90s. He moved to Virginia Beach. He actually moved next door to Pharrell's high school. Um, they had a talent show. Uh, Pharrell and the Neptunes, NERD was discovered. And again, we were all friends at this time. And, um, you know, he was just doing work. He was, you know, Pharrell was 
writing, you know, little parts to Rump Shaker and doing SWV things. And I'm like, wait a minute, like, this is like a business. <laughs> like, you know, I, I, I really, um, again, I was like, man, this is, you know, isn't this for the guys who are on TV? Like, this ain't for, like, us. And, um, you know, Pharrell really, really drove in the fact that, like, look, man, this thing can happen. Like, it can really happen. Um, you know, just seeing the artists that were coming down at the time was promising enough. Like I said, it's Teddy Riley. Everybody was coming through that studio. Future Records. It's Jay-Z to Michael Jackson. Everybody. I was still in school. I was skipping school, going to Chad's house. And everybody would be over Chad's house. And they were, like, you know, writing records and stuff. And I would just be there listening. And I was like, man, I'm going to write me a rap today. <laughs> and um, the bar was pretty much set, though. Like, you know, I, w I was always, I was always um, into the music. Um, I always, like, knew what was, like, cool in regards to, to what was, like, what was cool to say or, you know, I could tell the difference. Like, my brother was, like, the perfect teacher for me. Like, I was young. I was, like, I was, like, a kid and telling my brother, like, hey, MC Hammer's, like, the best rapper ever. You got to see this guy. And he'd be like, no, man, he's a great entertainer. Let me show you what a rapper does, okay? And, you know, he sort of gave me that type of breakdown. And, um, you know, it was preschool. It was preschool for rap. Well, that actually brings me to this really interesting point, which is I think that you have kind of become known as carrying on a specific rap tradition. And I'm wondering if early clips had like an aesthetic goal in mind, similar to what you might have now. Man, making music was just so fun with early clips. I mean, just imagine discovering the music business with your friends, carefree, all day. Like we already talked, me and Pharrell talked every morning from nine in the morning already. So it's nine in the morning, we talking, by 12 we together, on bikes, the bikes turn to cars, you know, studio. And it's like, um, you know, it, 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 I don't even know if it was an aesthetic. I don't know. It was, it was competitive. It was, it was competitive. Like, we would work all day. And this is sort of like the reason why I don't know how to work in studios now. Like, now, I still don't know how to, like, pull all-nighters. You know how guys be in there with their Hennessy and stuff and, like, you know, they do like this whole ritual. Weed, Hennessy, ah, three in the morning, five, look at me, I'm up, ah! Okay, I don't know how to do that. I still don't know how to do that now. So, but it's because of the way we were taught, the way I was taught. We'd work nine, 12 in the morning to 10 at night, go eat, and then we'd go to the club. And we go to the club simply to hear and watch people and how they reacted to the music. And we, you know, we'd go there, we'd listen, we'd watch. And the next night or the next morning, Pharrell would be like, yo, man, I'm going to kill the Benjamins, yo. I'm going to kill that. You know, or whatever record was out. And that was the motivation, you know. We were students, like we just was, we were, we were students of people, uh, students of the music, students of just energy. 
and, and reaction. Like that's what we were trying to like, we were just trying to harness all those things. I don't, I don't even know what the, you know, aesthetic was. I, I, I know one thing, I, I stopped, when I got with the Neptunes and we really found our sound when Lord Willen hit, I had stopped listening to like muddy, hardcore beats. It was like, I was like, wait a minute, beats can be like bright and hard and, and angry at the same time, but they were like, you know, they still had like colors to them. It, at one time, hardcore hip hop was just like muddy, dark, uh, you know, it, it just wasn't, um, it didn't have a lot of dimension to it. The Neptune sort of took me fully out of that. Do you remember the first time you heard a clip song go off in the club? Um, I, I really don't. I, I, like, I don't really. I can say this, though. I do remember watching the maturation of grinding. Like, you know, grinding was the clip's first record. And I do remember, like, putting that record out and only, like, I felt like every drug dealer in the United States was booking the clips for every $2,000 show ever. <laughs> and it was like, we were just so excited. We was like, oh, wait a minute. Like, you know, not knowing that, like, no, you know, there's a, this is the demographic, like, we're, we're, like, our base is really keying in on us right now. Like, we weren't, we were, like, we were taking that for granted. And we did these shows. And we did these shows for like nine months. And I remember like at the end of that ninth month, it was like grinding was a phenomenon. And, you know, we had, um, the video had just hit, you know, people were doing the dances that the, you know, little girls were doing from around our way. And it was definitely the lunch table beat of every cafeteria. <laughs> and the streets had spoken. The streets really had just spoken and, and, and they understood. They understood exactly what we were talking about. And it was a hard sell initially because people were like, four and a half will get you in the game. Like, what is all this? Get out. You know, shooing us off. But then you'd have this guy who's like in the streets and he'd be like, okay, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What you just say? Like, wait, they're saying that? Okay. And y'all from Virginia? Like, no, wait a minute. This is different. And the beat, this chaotic beat with only like seven sounds in it. What is this? It was a lot of different things that just came together and made, um, made a great record. I think one of the things that I find really interesting is that you, Clips came out and was, had this kind of reputation, had this credibility. And then, you know, merging my two worlds, I was an early Clips fan, but I really like boy bands. And then you put out a track with Justin Timberlake. I loved R&B. Score! You put out a track with Khalees. Score! That was, all of that was my shit. Right. <laughs> but, you know, I think we have to keep in mind that those worlds were really divided at that time. Shout out the Neptunes. <laughs> um, you know, they were, um, they were the darling producers. They were the super producers. Um, they were... They owned... What is it? Is it 49 or 51% Shiv? They owned 51% of the charts at that time. So 51% of the charts, that got to be street records and that got to be pop records. 
But did you feel, did you have any apprehension about doing those records? Uh, no. No, I mean, you know, we never had apprehension because we were like, we were just in love with the process of it and in love with the music that we were hearing and we, we were creating. We saw the vision, but people didn't see the vision. To just to go back to grinding for a second, like, think about all the records that were out at that time. Pharrell singing on the hook, he's with Nelly, he's, you know, he got the whole little, he got the song, the, the voice down to a science at this point. And then he gives me a record and says, this is your single, and he's not doing that? Do you know what the record labels looked at me like? They were like, wait a minute, what, how dare you? You're playing with us, you're toying with us. And, um, of course, we proved them wrong with that one. But, um, you know... It wasn't, it wasn't scary, man. We just knew how to cross, you know, stay true to ourselves. And, 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 and people wanted, wanted that. Luckily, Justin, you were in the boy bands. Justin was like, oh, he wanted to be a solo artist. He wanted like this, you know, this credibility. It's like, oh, man, do a record with the clips. Like that, was a, that wasn't supposed to necessarily happen. But, um, but I think people saw it. I think different... Uh, different type of artist or artists would maybe get clowned for doing something like that. That didn't happen with the clips. Yeah, but the records were hot. They were like, uncomp like, they were like, this wasn't like a compromise. Like, I didn't have to like rhyme about rainbows or nothing. It was like, everybody wanted, everybody wanted a piece of the streets. Everybody wanted a piece of the streets. Everybody wanted to like, um, they wanted the edge. That's what they wanted at the time. So after, after Grinding Hits, mm -hmm. after you're on a Justin Timberlake track, how are you starting to think about what the Clips project is and the, the narrative that you want to put out into the world? Like, did it start to become more defined, the vision? So you're talking about earlier being just competitive and having fun. Listen, we, the Clips were like mixtape artists that could not ever get on a mixtape because we weren't from New York. So, you know, for me, the clips was just, I mean, we were always just trying to accomplish our street mixtape rap goals. We just got this guy who like, you know, goes back and forth with, with us with hooks and stuff and gives us melody where we need it. And, you know, Chad, he likes to play chords and he meshed all that with these uh, street narratives. No. The clips was always uncompromised, always. It was never about compromising anything for us. It was like, you know, if you want to be down with us, you can be down with us. This is like, you know, we only knew street hip-hop. At this time, it was like, you know, street hip-hop is what, what ran everything. Um, it's been almost 10 years since Till the Casket Drops came out. Yeah. Next, 2009. Um, oh. Looking back... Did you have a sense that that was going to be a longer-term hiatus than, or as it has been, as it has turned out to be? Um, well, I knew that my brother didn't want to rap anymore. He told me about it. He told me about it on tour. I was, we were overseas. And um, he was like, hey, man, you know, I don't, I don't really want to rap anymore. I sort of want to do this solo thing. And I wrote a book. Here, take it. I was like, read it. And so... Um, what, what were your 
thoughts. I was like, oh, you're going to write a book? You know I can't write a book. You just want to be better than me. <laughs> but um, so, <laughs> you know, I was just like, uh, I, you know, I couldn't believe it. But um, he gave me a lot of time to think about it. He was like, man, you want to do your solo career anyway? You know, you should go ahead. You should go, you should go for it because... Right now, I'm just, I'm just not on that wave. I'm not on that wave right now. We're going through a lot. Like, um, talking about 09, April 09. April 09, everybody who we came into the music industry with, you know, outside of my rap friends, were um, indicted on a drug conspiracy. It, um, everybody, it, was, it was a drug conspiracy, and, you know, everybody got from 10 to 34 years. So... For me, it was like, of course, it was a, a terrible blow. For my brother, I feel like, and I'm not trying to speak for him, but I think he saw things a little differently. You know, his kids would go to Bible study with their kids. He saw, he saw the effects. He saw the effects in a different way than I saw it. Through, if you ask me, through the kids. And he was not with it. Did you see? Did you see this shift happening at all? Um, yeah, you know, you know, my brother's a very we 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 we've always called him the voice of reason. Anyway, like that's just very. He's very shrewd, very shrewd, very direct voice of reason. Like no nonsense type of person. Very. When things got shaky with with the whole prison situation, indictments, so on and so forth, um, I could just tell, like, you know, we made it through it, but it was like we made it through it, but again, he's he's watching the effects daily through through children, his kids, friends with you know my god kids, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, money can't patch it up, you know. They can come over and stay the night, but that, you know, they do go back home and things are different. I feel like, I feel like, you know, he was over it at that point. And that's, you know, that's really just what it was. Were you, were you ready to, to go solo when he broke that news to you? Um, I don't know. I just knew it was something that I couldn't, you know, we couldn't stop. Like, I just couldn't stop. It was like, I'm like, man, I feel I'm nice. Like, I think I'm good. <laughs> um, um, you know, he sort of sprung this on me. There were, like, internet rumblings of, what if Pusha T was solo? And uh, you got the Re-Up Gang mixtapes where it was four of us and, you know, everybody gets a verse and, you know, people were picking their favorites. You know, it was, uh, I, I don't feel like I had a choice. You know, I have, um, I have management. You know, I got management. I got, you know, friends that are uh, relying and living off of what it is that I do. Yeah, it was just, that's the next step. Let's go. And ironically, I think I was in, like in Sweden and um, Ye called. He was like, hey, man, you want to come to Hawaii and work on this album with me? I was like, sure. And um, 
that's how I got like all my mil- like I'm a million miler, right? So I got all of these miles because I kept flying from like Hawaii to Sweden, Hawaii. I like I was on the, I was on tour in Europe at the time. I told you my brother told me this. So when he asked me to come, I was like, okay, boom, maybe I have you know if I got three days off, I'll just fly out there. And then he'd fly me out there, fly me back, fly me out there, fly me back. And this happened like a, a trillion times. Do you have a jet lag miracle cure? Oh, or yeah. Listen, I don't. What's that? Jet lag? <laughs> Who deals with that? Like, that's nothing. So, I mean, you went out to Hawaii, you helped put out two, you, you, I mean, you delivered two really incredible appearances on. Kanye's record. Yeah. So appalled and run away. And you're talking about kind of just maybe not being unsure about going out solo, but you've you've got this thing of probably did you feel like you had to prove yourself? Um are we hearing like some of that 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 tension or struggle on those records? You're definitely hearing somebody cracking the whip. Like Ye was like nuts. Like I don't even I don't even know him either. Like at this time, like I don't know him well. Like I know him in passing. You know, met him in the studio a couple times. I believe it was earlier that year, maybe the year before. Don C's birthday gift to Ye was the clips coming to perform Hell Half No Fury in its entirety at the Louis Vuitton store in New York. It was like an opening or something like and um, I love that you did birthday parties. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Couple bar mitzvahs. I don't. I I don't. Um, so um, yeah, like you know, Ye was heavy, heavy clips fan, heavy, heavy Hell Hath No Fury fan, heavy. Love the freedom verse. Love the freedom verse from uh, till the casket drops. And um. You know, he was just like, hey, come work. You know, and I came out there. I'd never worked with him before. You know, totally different work work environment, you know, than, than what I'm used to with Pharrell and Chad. What was different specifically? Um, <clears throat> well, first of all, like, I, you know, you walk in the studio and it's like a sign that says, hey, no phones, no cameras, no computers, no laptops. Everything Mob Deep, everything Wu-Tang, everything... I don't know, Jay-Z. It was just it was just like closed off and very focused. You know, working with Pharrell and Chad, it's like, you know, you got the video game on, you got the TV on, we listen to everything. That might spark something. Hey, Chad, go sample that sound that's in the video game. Get that. You know, like you just you're taking you're taking um influence from everywhere. And um yeah, he's just laser focused. It's musicians around, it's you know, great people just around you know RZA comes through with a sample pack hey you know I'm like oh that's RZA <laughs> I met Ray before I ain't never seen you guy you know like um you talked about Kanye being a really big fan of yours but um what drew you to him as a collaborator was it just um, promise of Hawaii or well no he he's um <laughs> Yay, production-wise, has always been top-notch to me. Um, he always made, um, he heightened to me Hove's greatness, definitely. Um, 
that marriage was like, you know, Hove was always like my favorite rapper. Like, so just as a rapper, I'm like, okay, he's like the greatest rapper, cool. You know, lyrically, you just, you know, I'm, I'm, key, you know, I'm keyed in, I'm listening to him. And then he gets with Gay and these records, and it's like, wait a minute, that's even intensified. So I was always like, okay, wait a minute, this guy's great. You know, graduation hit. I Listen, it was, uh, can't tell me nothing, was my every day, every night, every minute song. And he, he was just always like innovating, always innovating. So it was, it was, it was a no brainer. It was like, I'm going. You talked a bit about kind of the, the workflow or work environment differences between Kanye's production process and uh, Chad and Pharrell's, but what, what about musically? You talked about Pharrell and Chad giving you brightness in rap, whereas before you were hearing like just darkness. What about with Kanye? What was Kanye giving you that you couldn't maybe get from Pharrell? Um, nostalgic soul, nostalgic soul samples. Or if it wasn't a sample, he definitely knew how to re, you know, recreate that feeling. And when it comes to me, he always tells me, like, your voice is the instrument. Like, I got to strip down every song for you because you're more of an instrument than I am this time. And, you know, he sort of, to me, he's found my sound. He's found the new Pusha T sound um, musically. If you, I mean, if you go to Numbers on the Board, if you go to Nostalgia, if you go to the games we play today, you go to Comeback Baby, he's found that sweet spot that, you know, musically he knows, like he, he just knows. He knows like, hey, this is your beat. We'll, we'll go away to uh, wherever we are, you know, recording. And, you know, I have faith. I always have faith that he's gonna find, he's gonna find that sound. He does. I mean, listen, it can take forever. It can take days, weeks, but he finds it. You know, when we're doing this whole, this whole five album thing, five album, five weeks thing, that all started from just me and him going to work on my album. We didn't find my album. We found Tiana's album first. We found a couple joints for himself. Then boom, the games we play comes. He's like, ah, that's your record. <laughs> you know, go write that now. And um, But this is days, you know, days, maybe a week or so, you know, away. And, um, you know, it takes time. It's like an art, man. It's like, was it 6,000? We, we were like 6,000 records he's like listening to. Some days it's just him like listening to like songs. And he was like, oh, pull that up. You know, start doing whatever he does. Is there a method to any of that? Like, a, is there a spreadsheet or like what is. Yeah, you go, play, to, you go to Amoeba Records, or, you know, in LA, you grab a whole bunch of records, you buy a bunch, you load them up and you listen to them. And, um, you know, that's what he does. That's his process. That's what I've seen him do for me and for all of those projects. And um, like I said, he finds a sweet spot and um, creates the magic from there. So you've detailed a bit of the Daytona process, going away, finding a sound, uh, finding some other records in the process. 
but you had a record before going into Wyoming. Yeah, yeah because w- what we do is um, before going into Wyoming, right? What I do is I just go around and I sit with producers, all types of producers, new, young, whatever. I hear anything that I like, I take it, I rhyme to it, I rap to it, lay it down and just store it. Um, when I feel like I've gotten my, you know, the, uh, when I found basically my voice on the project and then found my, like the direction and the, and the, just the whole theme of the project, I take it to Ye and be like, yo, I got my album. And, you know, he, nine times out of 10, he hasn't heard the verses. I may have given him the beats. I may have given him the beats and um, he'll be like, oh, I like that one, or I don't like that one, or whatever. So between me picking and between him picking through that, I write all of those. And then I let him hear it. And I'll be like, yeah, we got the album. What's up? Let's round this out real quick. And um, this time, a lot was going on at the time with him. And uh, <laughs> he was like, hey, man, I think... Um, I actually think I can do this better. And I was like, all right. You know, I'm ready to come out, though. I'm, like, fuming inside. And so I'm like, you know, he's like, "Um, I think I can do it better. And I was like, yo, you do know that you picked all of these beats. Like, you did this. Like, you A&R'd this project. He was like, I know, man. I'm just telling you I can do it better. Why don't we just go away? Like, like, I need some therapy anyway. (laughs) So... And, you know, um, that's when Utah, you know, Wyoming and Utah and all that start. That comes about from that. And, you know, when he said that, like I said, a lot was going on with him at the time. And um was always a lot going on with him. But at this particular time, a lot was going on. And he was like, you know, I felt like he was, you know, just asking, like, just to get his head in a different space. And I was like, all right, well, let's do it. Let's just go out there. And I mean, it was quick. I don't know, a few days, four days, a week. We were, we were up in Utah in the mountains. House built out, studio built out, getting to it. What, the record you kind of had and put away, what, what was the, the theme or the, the story you were trying to tell with that record? Um, and, and how might it be different from what we hear on Daytona? Well, I, you know, the thing about it is I don't like to, I like to write to beats. Like, I don't like to, like, write to a beat and then put those raps on another beat because the marriage is just never the same. Like, rarely can you get it, you know, can you make that marriage, you know, can, can you fit the, you know, fit it like a puzzle. It doesn't usually work like that for me. So, um... You know, it was, um, I was definitely on my rap superhero shit, like, totally. But it was just, it wasn't as cohesive. Because, like I said, I was getting it from a lot of different places. And, you know, yay, when it comes to me, is big on just sound and, and, and having a cohesive sound. Like, he hears me. You know, I, I honestly think he's like hell half no fury competing every time he's making an album for me, personally. 
like gets a little bothersome, you know, because I like I like a lot of stuff. I like, you know, I like singing. You know, I like things. But, you know, he he doesn't like really hear that. And um, it's so funny because like we'll find something great like that in that vein and I'll do it and I'll fall in love with it. And then he makes a crazy beat like Santeria or something. And then he's like, see, this is what I'm talking about. This is what this needs to be. I ain't trying to hear that shit. I, like, it turns into shit. It's crazy. It's like, <laughs> you know, and it's like he does this great, great convincing job of like, you know, like, listen, man, this is your sound, bro. Like, you can't abandon your sound. Like, I'm like, yo, man, it's one song. He's like, no, we don't want one song. We don't. We just want it all like this. Everybody comes in the room, they're like, ah, I think he's right, you know. They give me no, like, I have no backing, no nothing. Does anyone say no? I mean, I do. <laughs> I say no a lot. I mean, some people do. But um, I don't know. It's just how it goes. It's how it goes. Um, one of the things that I really like that you've said about Daytona is that you're trying to channel first album energy yeah so how do you channel um first album energy pretty much two decades into your career um man i just have a chip on my shoulder honestly like i really do when it comes to rap because i don't think lyric driven hip-hop goes out of style like i don't believe that and even with rap changing in like the different sub genres of rap and the different sounds the chip on my shoulder is competing with those sounds it's like man i want to be the disruption to all of this and i don't want you to think that you can do what i do i don't want you to feel like you can do that i'm not into that i feel like if you feel like you can do what i do then i'm i've lost so Looking for first energy, I mean, first album energy is like, man, I just try to tap into like the brash, you know, young Pusha T who just doesn't give a damn. Like, he's a rebel. That guy, that guy's loony. And <laughs> How do you find that in Utah? <laughs> um, you know, because you know what it is? Utah... Utah is honestly just getting away from everyone else. Like, that's what Utah is. That's what Wyoming is. Like, actually, you find it really good in those places because you have no other distractions in the world and you can hone in on whatever that emotion is, you know, in your log cabin mansion room. <laughs> You know, yeah, your log mansion. <laughs> like, it's um, it's actually really good to do it out there in those places like that. Um, we haven't touched on it too much, but I think Let's most of us, <laughs> well, most of us here know that um, Daytona was yeah. whittled down to seven tracks. Yeah, going to be eight, but then it became seven. It's going to be ten. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I imagine that was a challenge. Sure was. 
what <laughs> we could talk about that, but of we course. could also talk about, I mean, some of the other ways that you were challenged on this record, musically, not just in terms of Kanye's kind of workflow or that kind of thing. I mean, one thing yeah, I'm, I'm used to the workflow now, like yeah. that's whatever. But you know, the the seven song thing was a challenge because we had more. We had more. And um, we had more that I had fallen in love with. And he hadn't fallen in love with him. And by this time, I mean, like, you, you guys really got to understand, like, this was like, like, you know, I came in with, I really came in with the full, good, you know, Kanye West A&R album that, hey, you know, he's probably going to put some drums or whatever, boom. Like, by the time he heard it and he was like, he had made the decision like, no, nobody else is touching this, number one. He gets very selfish, extremely. And then he got hype and was like, oh, no, I'm making an album. Tiana's making an album. Like, everybody's getting an album. You know what? Nas get an album. You know, <laughs> like it's like Oprah, you get like, an album. Yes, you get an album. like <laughs> it wasn't that. Like it wasn't that. But I mean, he had found. He definitely found his. Um, you know, he he just he 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 found his bounce. He found his bounce, and 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 really was. Um, I think he was inspired. I feel like he. He fell in love with the with the keyboards and the drum machines, and he fell in love with all that stuff all over again, right in front of my eyes. And um, oh, I, I was saying that to say we were talking about the seven songs. You know, as much as I wanted to have ten, I had to think about it, and I was like, "Yo, this man is really doing thirty-five beats, like which is a lot." Like 35 beats, it's like you're dealing with me, you're dealing with, then you're dealing with Cuddy. Like, Cuddy's a whole nother monster. Like, you know, like you're dealing with Tiana, you're dealing with, you're dealing with Nas, you know, you're dealing with Yay times two, just Yay's two or four. You know, it's, um, it was a lot. And I, and I had to be like, you know, and then it, it came to the, him, like I said, him loving Seven. He found Seven. And he was like, no, I, I love this. Matter of fact, everybody getting Seven. We gonna give every, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm doing Seven for everybody. I like the number. <laughs> I was like, that's, you gonna give me, you like the number reason? Like, now you like bullying me. You like bullying me at this point. She's like, no, I actually do like the number. There's probably some numerology yeah. reason for seven. Yeah, listen, I'm sure you could make it up right now if you asked them. <laughs> but, you know, but, you know, like I said, thinking about it. And then what really sold me, because he knows I'm so, so anti. Like, the idea of everybody putting, like, 25 tracks on an album, like, to get the streams up and all of that, it's, like, it's such a poverty, poverty way of, like, cheating to me. I don't, I'm not into it. So I was like, you know what? You're right. We need to be totally against everything, and we need to do, just have a whole nother mantra in regard to what we're doing in this, in this wave. And, um, you know, he sold me on it. 
How did he sell you on the album art? Um, <laughs> you know, let me tell you. So the album art, I don't know if you guys, I don't know if you guys, you know, follow my tweets or whatever. Maybe some of you do, but yo, that whole process was really happening in real time. And I was doing radio promo with no album artwork. Albums coming out the next day. I tweeted. I said, hey, listen, guys, this album is coming out. I don't got the artwork yet, but when I get it, you sure you're going to have it. I'm tweeting that. I send that tweet out. I got um, an artist, a photographer, who's done the photos for My Name Is My Name, Darkest Before Dawn. He's done all... He's done so much for good music. We, you know, we got him in to do a photo shoot. I found a great photo. It's a photo of myself. I'm happy with it. I like like pictures of myself on my album. I like myself. I want to be seen. Yes. I don't think that's a lot to ask. So I'm like, yo, okay, cool. I found it. I, I, I mocked it up. It's like, hey, sent it out. Yo, this is what I like. Because it was winding down. It was winding down. He's doing all these projects. He's doing mine. I'm like, you don't need to worry about this type of stuff, man. Just let me just do this. At 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, I get a call. And it's him. And he's like, hey, man, you know, I just don't feel like this art is capturing the greatness of what's on this album. And I'm like, first of all, it's a picture of me. I better be capturing the greatness of what's on this album. Like, what do you mean? No, I'm telling you that I got an idea. I got this idea. I got an idea. Just let me, you know, I'll get back to you. But let me, I, we're not putting that out quite yet, okay? Okay. That was it. I wake up in the morning. Um, oh, no. That's one thing. You know, he told me about, he told me the price of the art. And I was like, hey, we don't have to spend that on my art. It's $85,000. Yeah. I was like, hey. I was like, I don't want to do that. I don't want you to do that. He was like, no, I want to do it. <laughs> and I was like, all right. But um, I still didn't know what it was going to end up being until the next day. And I had to do like radio and I had to do... Uh, by the time it came out, no, I'm sorry. When the album came out, I, I was doing radio phoners and I was getting these wild, wild interviewers who were like, listen, I feel away." And I was just like, oh, okay. You know, you feel away. Um, what's wrong? And <laughs> they were like, this art is so disrespectful, so on and so forth. And it was like, well, wait a minute. Like, you know, I was trying to explain to everybody, like, listen, man, this was this art was done honestly, just trying to capture the, you know, it was drugs, luxury, everything that like that picture said. And granted, it was um it was Whitney's bathroom, right? The home it was the home bathroom though, I believe. Not not the hotel 
I think it was a home bathroom. But, um, you know, nobody was trying to, like, play Whitney out or nothing. It was just, like, just the picture was just, like, uh, it was perfect. It was a perfect description. Organized chaos, drugs, luxury, ups, downs, everything I was describing on this album. And that's what it was. And I'm sticking by it. Like, I love it. And it was paid for. (laughs) And where'd the money go? To the person who sold it. So, Mm. with that being said, you know, it was for sale. (laughs) (laughs) You buy things you want. You sell things you want to sell. That's how it goes. Retail. <laughs> One-on-one. When my name is my name came out, it was actually five years ago this week, basically. Yeah. Um, you told Miss Info that you weren't rich enough to take weak shots. Um, so five years on after your successes um, and the surgical summer, does that statement still resonate. Say that one more time. I told her I wasn't what? You weren't rich enough to take weak shots. To take weak shots. Yeah. What are weak shots? <laughs> That's what you said. I'm not rich. Wow. Yeah. But um yeah, I'm I'm very well off. These days. I mean, that's how yeah. it is. But, well, is it, even about, it, is it even about the money? It's totally not about the money. Yeah. Totally not about the money for me. I mean, this is like art to me, man. This art, it's my passion. I love it. If it was about the art, I mean, if it was about money to me, I probably would make different records. I mean, if we want to talk about it, I've really made variations of the same album for the past 20 years. I mean, close. But, um, <laughs> you know, just I just know who I'm talking to, man. I know exactly who I'm talking to. I know exactly who my core is. I cater to that person. I don't cater to anyone else. If you want to be down, fine. Come join us. If you don't, it's okay. Like, you know, it's just a little different for me, man, because I feel like there is nobody else out there who does what I do. Um, I feel there are a lot of people who, you know, talk a street narrative. I don't know. It's a lot of them. I just don't think they do it the way I do it. I don't think that, you know, I think it hits some people because there's some actual uh gems in what I say. They're actual, like, you know, I follow the rules of hip-hop and people who love hip-hop, their metaphors, their similes, their parallels drawn. They're, um, you know, I talk about current things. I talk about things that hurt you here. Um, you know, this, this, this rap thing is like a language to people. It's a real language that, that, that people, uh, that resonates with a whole lot of people. And what it is that I do and the way that I do it, from vocabulary to just being articulate in doing it, I feel like, you know, it it broadens, that's what broadens my base a little bit. 
Other than that, it is what it is. You know what you're getting from Pusha T every time. Language changes over time. Language does change over time, and I think I change. Like most of, of the industry, I think, you know, rap has shifted to emphasize business over certain traditions. Um, why, why, does, why does competition matter? Why is that, now that the parameters have changed? Um, well, I think for me, competition has always mattered. You know, I, when I, you know, I tell you about my early days and I tell you about how we even competed with other records. That was, you know, that's just, that's why I don't know how to work in studios late. Like, because we were busy trying to just hear what was next and be like, oh, how do you outdo that? You know, competition matters. I feel like the art form was based on that. It was. It was about being, you know, hip hop culture is based on competition. Not just rap, just the whole culture of hip hop. You know, you know, walking outside, walking outside, having on fresh shoes and saying, you ain't got these. Like, that's, it's always competitive in every aspect of hip hop fashion, hip hop fashion, rap, you know, just knowing about, you know, what's hot, what's next. There's a, a competitive spirit in all of that. That's the hip-hop I was raised off of. So I, I don't know it any other way. There's a Daytona track called Hard Piano. Yeah. and One of my favorites. On it, you rap. I won't let you ruin my dreams or Harvey Weinstein the kid. Good morning, Matt Lauer. Can I live? Yeah. Um, this record came out when both of those men were facing and, and admitting to serious allegations of sexual assault. Yes. When you are writing a punchline, how do you think through the wordplay versus the way those references might play out in the public consciousness? Um, you know, I think I man, I rap for an intelligent individual, man. I really do. Like I, I rap for people who know what's going on in society, know what's going on in current events. And, you know, it's just we, we call it sacrificing for the greater good actually. And that's when, you know, when we just know what we're talking about and we know that there's a certain individual who's going to know what we're talking about, but maybe the other person might not. It, we, it ain't for them. It's really not. We, you know, when I'm, when I'm talking about Matt Lauer and I'm talking about Harvey Weinstein, it's like, man, it's, um, I won't let you ruin my dreams of Harvey Weinstein, the kid. Good morning, Matt Lauer. Can I live? Look at my new digs. The rooftop can host a painting sip for like 40. I'm talking about just like not falling into any of those wild, weird, sexual, deviant <laughs> behaviors. And I'm also talking about just my, you know, just my growth. Like I got different things to brag about. Like I'm not into this whole... You know, the whole, I just got married. I'm not into, like, mm. the whole, uh, you know, chasing 90,000 women and so on and so forth. Like, that's not it anymore. Like, times are changing. Like, that's not, that's not the thing. Um, you know, I'm, I'm just thinking of the verse. Look at my new digs. The rooftop can host a painting sit for, like, 40. The war halls on my wall paint a war story. Had to find other ways to invest. Because you rappers found every way to ruin protects. It's just setting myself apart 
from what other rappers are doing, what they talking about. Um, I'm into different things. Like I'm, I'm talking about my rooftop. I, I could, I could sound washed easily, <laughs> but you know, it's, um, it's just owning, owning where you are as a person and, 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 and knowing your space and, and being able to say that I'm growing and I'm, I'm, I'm getting older and I got other interests. Do you feel like, I mean, I'll say rap only because that's what you do. Yes. I, I would. I do not sing. <laughs> I would extend this to people making all genres of music in general, mm-hmm. but do you feel like rap has a responsibility to be more socially responsible in, in the, the language that artists use? Yeah. I mean, I would say yes. I would say yes, but, you know, I'm saying yes because I'm from the era of the message. I am a, I am a, that was one of the first rap songs. Rap to me is you talk about what's going on outside right now. You tell me the story of what's happening. What do you see? What's going on? You address the issue. You attack the issue. Whatever it is. Like, I don't know rap that doesn't do that. I don't necessarily listen to rap that doesn't do that. I may have fun to it. I may bounce to it, whatever. I can enjoy it. I'm not trying to solve that puzzle, though. Let me say that. I'm definitely not trying to solve that puzzle. When you hear my records, I want you to try to solve the puzzle. I want you to hear, I want you to discover things and say, oh my God, that's what he was talking about. But I want you to do that like four weeks later. You know, like, I want that to happen. Like, that's what I'm trying to, like, that's the goal. Like, man, I'm, I may have just now deciphered reasonable doubt. That was 96. And I needed the book decoded. <laughs> like, you know, I like, that's the beauty of hip-hop to me. That's the beauty of rap. That's the art in it. That's the greatness in it. I don't know if every everything else is good. Like the other, the other, uh, like I said, the other subgenres and what they do and the fun you can have with them, so on and so forth, is cool. But this right here is, you know, this is something different to me. So when you talk about having a message, addressing an, atish- an issue, attacking an issue, what is the issue at heart when? you're putting out a record addressing a rapper like Drake. What is the issue? Yeah, what is the issue? Oh, it's the competitive spirit. It's the competitive spirit. I mean, you know, he puts out records and he says what he says. And it's it's just about, you know, um, combating that and coming back, coming back at it lyrically. That's what it is that I do. And it's, you know, it's, it's um, I feel like that's what uh, another aspect of what, you know, that competitive spirit is. And, um, you know, just standing your ground and doing what you, you know, showing what you believe in. After all of the discussions that your record has brought up and, you know, there's an Eminem and a Machine Gun Kelly kind of mm-hmm. back and forth this year. Yeah. Do you, what is your sense of how people understand this competitiveness or this tradition of beef and diss records in rap that you're talking about? Do, do people get it? 
Um, I don't know if people get it. I don't know. I don't really know. I don't know how they look at it. You can look at, you know, you you can you can look at social media and you can read comments that say, "Hey, Pusha T went crazy, but he sold less records." You know, or you can look at comments like, "Man, that won't that good." You know, whatever, a billion streams. Like, I don't really know. I don't know how people take it. I feel like I know how my people take it. Now, I know what they think. Like, they're, they're me. So they look at it how I look at it. And, you know, you chop heads off. That's it. And that's really it for me. But that's, you know, that's the, that's the battle wave. And that's what... um. You know, and, and you feel like it's funny because people will look at the at the battle. They'll, they'll, they'll play. They'll play with the whole battle notion in their raps. They'll say slick things. They'll do this. They'll say this. They'll say that. Right. But then when it comes. It's oh, it's too far. Oh, you can't do this. Ah, I'm gonna write a whole dissertation about why this wasn't supposed to be. Like, bruh, it's not, it's not even fun at this point. I think you have to be really careful in toying with it because it's like, I feel like once you play in it, you got it. Now you have, you have to really play. You have to really play. Because to me, I don't like all of the. Even with that whole situation, you got to really think about it. Like, I really didn't do this. It happened during my album rollout. So, like, I did interviews during my album rollout. And, of course, that was happening. So, it was like, okay, and I have to talk about that. But since that, I haven't really talked about it. Because, to me, it ain't nothing to talk about. It's just action. When it's time for action, we go for action. And that's it. It's like war games. Why we got to talk about it? If we're going to get busy, we're going to get busy. You don't, walk to, you, know, you don't walk to the bus stop to fight, to talk. You don't do that, right? That don't make sense. So I'm, you know, and, and, I'm, and I'm not. Like, you know, content is king. So you got to keep your content to yourself until it's time to, you know, engage. So I don't, you know, I don't really, um, I don't really know how people think anymore. I don't I'm going to tell you what I do what I do notice though. It's not and I've seen this a few times. You know, that it's not a lot of emphasis put on the battle wave and things like that anymore. It's like, you know, before you could like you could almost be taken out of this game by losing a battle. Like actually people have been. It's not like that anymore. People be over it. It's cool. You take the L and Go on. People forget about it. Oh, you know, oh, yeah, that happened, but uh, whatever. The dope song. <laughs> you know, it, like, that's how it goes. And it's cool. It's, it's, it's whatever. Um, we're also coming up on three years since you became the president of Good Music. Yeah. I mean, wh- why, was that, why was that something you wanted to do? Um... Because I feel like that's my calling 
in music. Like I feel like this is how you mature in music. You have to like share the codes with other artists, new artists coming up. I feel like you have to share your experiences. You have to find other artists, groom them, show them everything. Like, you know, man, it's, you know, show them, show them things musically and just life-wise. A lot of these artists are, you know, from, you know, different places and different backgrounds. Um, they're running into tons of money. You know, you, you, you give them, you, you give them, uh, those uh those words and you help them see their way through it all i feel like that's my calling in music for now i mean you know i'm working on an album now but <laughs> it's uh i still gotta you know bring artists through and and be like yo this is hot this is not hot this is what's new this was coming next what's up we need to go grab him ah like and that's part of like just what we do anyway like my studio sessions over a good with everybody usually just starts with conversation and 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 a talk about who's hot, what's hot, what's new. Let's hear it. What does it do? Who likes this? And um you know, once you discover all those things, you see if they're available, you see if they'll fit in the fold, if they want to even be down with the fold. I mean, people are so self-sufficient. Artists are so self-sufficient these days. You know, not everybody always want to be down. Sometimes you find a diamond. You know, you'll find a a record bubbling on SoundCloud like designer, and you say, hey, what's up? 16 million singles later. It's like... Do you think it's a good or bad thing that artists are more self-sufficient now than before? No, I think it's good. I mean, it... it um, it's good to me because it's something I look at and I like admire. Having lived through all of these eras, you know, I've been in this, what, 20 years now, right? So it's like living through it and like being the kid who was like driving from, you know, Virginia to New York and, you know, thinking I'm going to meet a label head and really meeting the mail boy who was trying to get out the mail room himself and, you know, Actually taking it to the A&R when he told me he was the SVP. You know, I went through that. So to watch somebody, you know, produce, make their songs, shoot their own videos, have a following, cultivate a following before, you know, anything, you know, pop up as 750 kids at a show. And I don't know you. Like, it's like, you know. It says a lot. It says a lot. And I like to see it. What would be the advantage of a kid who is self-sufficient finding a label home then in this era? Well, I mean, you can look at it two ways. You can, you can be independent and, you know, you can work very hard, extremely hard, and get everything that's due to you. Now... Or you can, you know, set that foundation, get with the label, and let them sort of blow it up for you. Hopefully they don't mess up, and hopefully you don't mess up in trying to be self-sufficient. If you got the patience, do your thing. 
if you need the help and you know you need the help, you probably should go to a label. But you got to know that. Not everybody is built for the indie grind. I feel like if you know, if you know that you're built for it, then go for it. If you don't know, then go ahead and go to a label. There's nothing wrong with either, man. You can get money either way. You've said that good music has um, become sonically competitive uh, under your presidency. Can you talk a bit more about what that means? I feel like under my presidency, the albums that have come out, the records that have come out, the sound of good music is now competing at a frequency. And it's not all the way there yet. It's not all the way like we're like we're we're putting out albums back to back to back to back to back. You're hearing the music constantly. But I feel like people know the difference and people look at us and say, This is a good project. Hold on, we can wait on this and when this drop it's gonna be chaos. I don't I honestly don't feel like there was anything more impactful than this five the five weeks from May twenty fifth to whatever the last release was. Uh, which was Tiana's. I don't know if there was anything that was more impactful all this summer between that and the drama. <laughs> um, I don't know. Musically, I don't know what was like crazy. Like, you know, great music. A lot of great music has come out. But I think it's, it's fair to say the noise was definitely surrounding good. What What have you learned from kind of, yeah, that, that rollout, the way of doing things that, that you guys did this year. What, is there something that you're like, nah, that actually didn't work? Maybe we won't do it again? Mm, I can't say I won't do it again. But what I will say is that um, I feel like we accomplished something that we've done something that we were trying to do and we didn't know how to do since Good Friday's. Like the whole Good Fridays thing, I don't think, I don't think there was a time, a weekly time in music. Like, I mean, everybody was tuned in for Good Fridays. Like, the world was tuned in for Good Fridays. What's gonna drop? Who's gonna be on it? So on and so forth. Like, and we were trying to figure out, yo, how do we outdo that? We, um, I think we came close. We came close with like uh, grabbing the attention of everybody. And, and making people anticipate what was next with this past uh, five good offerings, for there's, sure. There was nothing about this whole experience that didn't work? Um, yeah. I mean, of course, you know, you heard Tiana. She cursed me out a couple times. Um, you know, um, I, I feel like um, in doing things like that, you know, you're working with, it's not just, you know, it's not just good. It's like, you know, you have to make sure that these albums get ingested into the, you know, Apple, Spotify's, all of that type of stuff. If you don't, then it'll be a little late. You know, you had those type of issues for sure. You had, I think Ye took his artwork picture in the car on the way to the listening party. You know, I'm sure that's not really... Spent all his money on yours, that's why. Maybe, probably. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> but um, you know, you know, it's it, it's things that um, you know, as a 
as things that looking, you know, looking, looking for the consumer, like, you know, just giving them the ultimate awareness and making sure that they have, you know, they're excited about art and in, in a timely fashion, you know, that this sort of messed up um, again, putting the albums out, um, not having them ingested in, in those particular platforms on time, which caused them to be late and so on and so forth. That was a bit of an issue. But it was fun, man. Like, this was fun. Like, it was a lot of fun, actually. And even the hiccups and hang-ups were like, I mean, you know, we, you know we're not perfect. Like, we're not. Like, you know, and, and we like for you guys to go through. I mean, I think y'all been seeing since Pablo. Like, man, he, like, redid that album with y'all. Like, really. Like, I literally... Flew to New York. We did the whole order of what it was. I think we had narrowed it down to like 12 songs. Like, oh, this is perfect. We left. We jammed. I woke up next morning. It was 19 songs on it. Mixes still being done. And I just left the perfect album. You know, you know, it's like, man, you guys are really, I just want you to know, you're really seeing the inside of something. Like, you're seeing the madness happen. As it's, as it's really happening in a lot of these different uh, situations. And, you know, it is what it is. I mean, I, you know, I, I've i learned to work like this with good. Like, it's normal to me now. The Adams family. So how come Kanye gets to make the decisions then, if you're the president? As far as what? Well, like, no, this should be the album art. No, it should be seven tracks. No, I could do it better. Well... You know, um, I feel like there's certain things that I personally don't put as much emphasis on. Like, I'm going to say, listen, these verses are crack. Take this. Um, the song is crack. I love it. He's definitely going to be like, okay, listen, I produced this. I want it to look a certain way. Like, like, why wouldn't you let the Don, the staff do this? You know, why would you not want, you know? And then he gets into that. And it's like, you know, by the time I have him fully engaged creatively, you want his genius. You definitely want his genius in, involved in your project. He's really passionate about it. I, I'm not passionate about art. Like, art like that. Like, you know. Like I said, it could have been a picture of my face. Hey, it's Daytona. Like, bro, it's like fire. Like, I can't wait for it to get out. I'm not, the picture, leave me alone. We're talking about Kanye's vision, good yeah. music. Yeah. Was, yeah. slash is Kanye's vision. For sure. Um. Why should people who are disappointed or angry at Kanye's current vision of the world buy into Good Music's vision right now? Um, I don't know that. <laughs> we disagree. <laughs> so um, I don't know. Um, I feel like, you know, Kanye, he's been a person who, you know, definitely tries to get his point across, right? 
at all cost. And he he's willing to like go through all types of hell and damnation to get his point across and 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 piss people off and everything if he believes that it's going to pay off in the end. I truly believe that everything that he thinks and all of his views, he feels like, hey, you know, it's going to, you know, it's going to pay off in the end. Even though we don't agree, you know, I personally know that, you know, I know him. I know him. I know his heart. And I know that he's um, more so than anything, he's all about making things better just for the world for people he's about peace he's about giving people a shot I'm not like that but he is so when it comes to us and dealing in that and the working dynamic of that it's like you know we just agree to disagree and it's not like I'm a it's no like it's, it's it's not an excuse to be made. Like he doesn't want no excuses made for him either. He doesn't. Like I wouldn't. But um, I can just say that I know him personally, and I know that he is, and his mind is telling him, "Man, I need to go through these channels to sort of make these other things happen," and I'm willing to exercise that. And y'all can stone me, but. He's, he'll go for it like that. What are you most proud of? Right now? What am I most proud of? Man, I had like an awesome wedding the other day. It was like so great. <laughs> like, um, yeah, like, listen, even that even happened during the firestorm of everything, you know, but, um, I'm just happy how everything has everything has turned out this year. Personally, musically, business-wise, for everybody at good. For everybody at good, you know, you guys get to watch the reality show. Like this is what it is. It's real. Every aspect of it over here is real with us. We argue, we fight, we disagree. You know, we make great music. And um we love it. I don't know if everybody loves it. We do, though. I think that's our time. Really? Yeah. No. We have more time. No way. Do we have more time? Of course. <laughs> We're here. I don't know. <laughs> I'm like looking at him. Unfortunately, we don't have more time. Oh, but man. But please, everyone give our thanks to Pusha T for being here. Hey, thank you guys for coming out. Hey, this is Jordan Rothline again. Thanks for listening to Couch Wisdom. Before you go, I just wanted to take a minute to tell you a little bit about the Red Bull Music Academy. The whole thing is a world-traveling series of music workshops and events. If you want to find out more, check us out at redbullmusicacademy.com. Also, if you liked what you heard on this podcast and you're not already subscribed, please go for it and consider rating us while you're at it. It really helps other people discover the podcast. Finally, there's a whole world of other great music programming like this to check out at redbullradio.com. That's all for now. Thanks for listening.